Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is the 150th episode of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books together for the first time. In this episode, we are going to be reading The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. And specifically, this episode 150 of Death Readers is actually an annotated episode of Death Readers 150, because we are actually reading the annotated The Hobbit. Um, and because of a technical performance, totally problematic issue last week, when we tried to record this episode the first time, things happened. My computers decided that they didn't want to record anymore. They only wanted to update. My software insisted that I have had no more space to mm-hmm. record to. I was self-indulgent and made myself a bagel in the meantime, and then that popped up in the show, and it became this whole, like, oh, yeah, now I'm eating on the show kind of thing, and isn't that distracting and awkward? And 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 then we had all these, like... Internet failures? Internet failures that, that caused glitches and, and, and us to just not be able to communicate with each other as well as we'd like, and, like, the timing. Look, it was just... It was a bit of a mess. It was not the kind of episode we were going to end up finishing. And it took it just took us what deep into the day. So mm-hmm. uh, what we're going to do today for you is we've broken down some of those segments, uh, re-edited them and cleaned them up so that they're just the good parts. <laughs> and we're going to include those in the show. And we're going to, in the spirit of the annotated Hobbit, we're going to provide retroactive feedback on those segments you're hearing for the first time. So... <laughs> Much like the way that this book is laid out for us. I, I dare say this may be the first annotated podcast ever. Because who else would come up with such a ridiculous <laughs> idea? Oh, as, God, I as hope it's to... the last, too. Now, I know that there are some podcasts, or at least TV shows, where they do that thing where they have the people re-watch the show and then comment on it. Oh, shit, yeah, there are those. That, those those shows exist, and they all sound horrifying, and, like, they sound like brain death, but... Are you saying we're following into the self-gazing uh, navel of 90 Day Fiancé? Yes, except what we're doing is innovative. <laughs> and what they do is uh, culture corrosion. And I think that... One is better than the other. So. (laughs) I hope it's the one I'm involved with. It is. (laughs) So, without adewing further, unless, Rob, you have anything you'd like to add? I I don't don't think so. Okay. I'd say we get into it. Well, then we're going to start with, and and we'll, we'll, let's provide our, uh, our review of the first segment, which we've titled, uh, Hobbit Breakfast. And so, uh. Here it is. Before we even address the edition edition, I'd like to say it is early in the morning. I just we just spent an hour waiting for my computer to update so we could start recording this. Um, in that time, I have prepared myself a wonderful Hobbit breakfast Aww. in spirit of of what we're doing. So I am going to uh, take a little bit of a bagel and put some cream cheese on it. I don't have any capers or any salmon to really make it like the kind of amazing bagel as as you like for a hobbit to you expect from a hobbit's feast honestly I mean, bagels I, might not even be a thing that they like i i'm sure there are some hobbits who like bagels okay let's let's not go down that road um though it ever goes ever on we i do expect however some link sausage 
I expect I don't some have, eggs. It, I expect some kind of potato. This isn't first breakfast, Rob. This is simply, this is more like 11sies at this I time apologize. of day. No, you're right. You're right. And and even second breakfast. So I saw this amazing TikTok, speaking of this, that I can't share with you. I'm obligated to just describe to you um, <sighs> that was somebody preparing all of the, the foods of a hobbit for a day. And it was uh, the first breakfast was classic English breakfast that you'd expect the eggs, the potatoes, the links, uh, all of that. Second breakfast was basically fruit and French toast, which sounded great. Elevensies okay. um, was more. Oh, and, and I also brought this because this again, because this isn't as much of a hobbit piece as I'd like. I do have a scone, which was part of the Elevensies uh, in that. Oh, look at that. Mm, look at that. It was you jealous. I'm sorry. I am. I'm gloating here with all my fancy Hobbit food. Take a bite real quick. Mm-mm-mm. So. From what, everything I understand, and I know we're like three digressions from your main point now. Um, everyone loves listening to people eat on mic. So this is going to be great. It's going to be so <laughs> for good. Editing and recording. Please remember Yay. that. Cut all my eating food noises out of this. So the podcast, the, the TikTok was that like all these different like elements of of food and then it was like it was just cool to see someone like depict these different versions like afternoon tea was basically like finger sandwiches and well, stop stop you never told me what elevensies was elevensies was scones and oh that okay you did and 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 maybe some like fruit there was it was interesting how much fruit came into it uh, well i mean hobbits like, like good tilled earth i know i'm spoiling about four episodes from now when we have the concerning hobbits chapter but they, they like the, the produce. Yeah. And uh, so then like afternoon tea or lunch was. God, I don't even remember. It, it just it just goes on. Like it, it just says men, men a magnificent food. I think no lunch was like a pot pie of some kind. It was some sort of like. Mm, I do like pot pies. Like, a pastry some sort maybe? Of, like it was some sort of a like bowl with hot on top and inside. <laughs> like you could tell it was hot. <laughs> sure. And then uh, afternoon tea was the finger sandwiches and the and the the fruit and then t- supper was another one of those big pots a whole like cornish game hen and some like vegetables like some broccoli or something and then supper was like lamb shanks and potato just and for was... our pedantic listeners you said supper twice and you never said dinner i should have said dinner once i'm sorry i believe supper of... comes first i don't remember which one comes first i think supper and think you sup and then you dine okay well that that is the order in which it should have gone, and that is the order of which I'd like it to have gone. Unless you're reading Dracula when Jonathan Harker gets to Dracula's castle in, like, the middle of the fucking night. Dracula offers him supper and says, in quotes, I do not sup. So, and and he never drinks wine. So, at least in Transylvania, supper is super late. And I have to apologize because uh, it is a gloriously sunny day, and it's a holiday, and everyone's going to be off. And I live next to a sightseeing airport, so I've got a lot of overhead traffic. Each of us has our own noises, unsightly noises we're bringing to the episode. So, so having listened to that. Good stuff. (laughs) um, I think that that my, my review of what we just listened to, and by we, I mean all of us. Right. Not... Everyone involved this has just listened to it. Is is that uh, I think that, that this one really shows how much we really wanted that first attempt to work. 
<laughs> I think it. I think it shows how much God didn't want it to work. Well, and, and, and also how uh, how peckish you actually were. Yeah, and maybe we don't uh, come to a Hobbit episode without having eaten first. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, not long after, there was a bagel. I. I mean, it was. I, I haven't eaten today, but we're starting at the normal time, and uh, things are progressing uh, on a normal pace today. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I hopefully will be able to stave off my uh, my my hunger sounds for a while. Next is the original edition edition, which if you are listening now know already that we're re- that we're reading the annotated The Hobbit. But I mean, there spoilers. Was a, there was a time. When, as recently as last week, where that was supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> and oh, we're going to yank the rug so hard out from under you. <laughs> and it was, oh boy, did we, we were both like scheming and having these like little giggle fits. Like, ooh, we're going to, we're going to really trick him. And then uh, the I, internet I, I, I fancied I was going to trick Doug himself because who thought mm-hmm. I was reading the annotated Hobbit. But I had a, oh, I had a wrench I was going to throw into that monkey. <laughs> yeah. So, here's that. The edition edition. You should go first. I, you should go first because no, I... No, you should go first. Ah, all right. I've changed so my I mind have, how I want to do it. I want you to go first. I have two editions of this book that are worth, that are worth mentioning. The first okay. is a paperback book that is the... Uh, revised edition, first printing, January 1982. The, I believe, according to the way Rob taught me how to read these things, the 136th printing of this book. <laughs> or this edition, I think. It's got this, you know, delightful little red cover. Like a and red I book think... of Westmarch cover? Sorry, I meant green. Oh. I should have said, yeah. It's delightful little green cover. Interesting. It, I believe... This copy of this book was given to me. Oh, no, maybe it was the other one. Nope, never mind. I'll save that for the next time. Uh, this copy I bought at, um, again, I had it for 12 years. I bought it at Tidal Wave. That's our local used bookstore. Yes, and uh, it's it's delightful and cute and f- fine, but it's not the book I read. The book I what? read this time is the Annotated Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien annotated by Douglas A. Anderson. And I have my copy, my my publishing in is, according to how these things are, I was taught how to print read. Uh, this is the, this is like the 20, maybe the 22nd or 26th. It's, it goes, they go backwards. This one's weird. Uh, we're midway through the listings of the printing. It stops and then starts counting down again. <laughs> so it's either the 26th or 27th version or the 22nd. I don't know. But either way, it's the annotated version that I read. Cool. Well, what I've got read, Rob? this gorgeous hardback. Can you see it? Illustrated by Alan Lee version. Wow. Yes. However, that's not what I read. I read also <laughs> the annotated Hobbit. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I don't know. that It was amusing in my head. You got me. Take that sucker. And then my printing. Hmm. I mean, I definitely bought mine before yours. Mine says DOC 1098765. So this is the fifth printing, I guess. 
There's been all kinds of uh, annotated hobbits, but mine is also annotated by Douglas Anderson. You're saying that the lowest number is the edition I have? I believe so. Well, then I probably have edition 17, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to read this garbage. Why can't they make it easy? Because the ways of the printer are not the ways of the mortal man. It's true. So in case you're completely unfamiliar, uh, annotated editions are the book with a whole lot of notation throughout. I didn't, when I predicted how long we'd read, I'd be, I was using this older edition book that I have and counting the pages and, 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 you know, measuring our diet as it were for what we would be uh, reading in that version. We could easily have gotten into chapter four or through chapter four. But in this book, I overestimated how I underestimated, honestly, how much we would have in the introduction and the prefaces and the acknowledgments and all that. So by the time I finished the, I kid you not, 28 pages of introduction to this book, <laughs> I had to text Rob and say, hey, uh, I think we're pulling back a little because like, I've got plans to update my computer that morning. I'm just not going to have the time, <laughs> Rob. It just feels like getting into this book further than than 87 pages or whatever it is that, that we finished in is for, for again, the uh, pages we have to basically read twice. I don't know how you did this, but that's how I did it. it. It just, it made it so we just could not get, we had, it just was unreasonable. It was unreasonable for us to do all of that note taking and everything else that deep into this book this time. So we're going to figure it out next time. So that's, that's fine. So uh, Rob, do you have any other uh, things you'd like to talk about before we start just reading the book or talking about the book? Yeah, well, I've got a question about how you read the book. Based Let's talk about how to read the book. Based on something you texted me last night, are you waiting till the end of the chapter to read through the annotations? Yep. Interesting. I read it uh, whilst whilst going through. Why do you do it that way, and why do you think that's preferable? Great question, Rob. I, it's fantastic to be here. I um. I tried the first chapter reading it with doing the annotations at the time, and I found myself completely disconnected from the story. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I I found myself not able to keep up with what was actually happening in the story for all of the, um, actually in previous versions, this sentence was written like this. And I was like, okay, that's interesting, but I don't need that right now. I need to read the story. You damn, you damn millennials with your long attention spans. In my day, we had pop-up video and mystery science theater. We need constant <laughs> input. Um, I would argue it's the opposite. I think that is having a bit longer attention span. Mine felt shorter where I was like, I can't keep up with both two things at once. You know what? Um, uh, based on everything you actually said that I wasn't listening to because I was trying to set up my poppy poppy pop-up video comment yeah um yes you're correct and it's weird to be the one with the longer attention span (laughs) so i i uh that's that's how i did it i i would i went i read it i i for the first when we finally get to the chapters i that's how my methodology was i went and read through the chapter read it as a story as best i could because i did realize that occasionally i was sort of like zoning out not not fully, but like I realized on the review of the annotations that I had missed certain things. So going through there and looking at that stuff and then going back and rereading the chapters and being like, oh, that's interesting. There were some times where I would cheat a little uh, and jump ahead and go, oh, look at that. There's a note that make that's actually it's not just a note on the publication differences. It's a note on lore. Mm-hmm. 
And those were really uh, interesting to do. And I could do some of those in the moment. But when it comes to stuff about the publications or, or the revisions, I couldn't. Fair enough. Fair enough. I couldn't feel like that was as helpful as I wanted it to be. And okay, now we're back. Uh, <laughs> this episode's going so quickly. I, I think that, again, though, this one, if we had redone the edition edition, this is just a good example of why I feel like the annotated Death Readers is important. Mm. Is I don't think any of the fun that we had and the and the organic energy that we did have in that moment would have been repeatable. Oh, like, not at there's all. A, there's a part where I reference having a book with a red cover, and you go, "Oh, like the Red Book of Westmark," and I'm like, "No, it's I meant green." And you went, "Oh," and that kind of confusion and silliness can only come organically. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I I just feel like that is or my uh, very very organic uh, bait and switch with the Alan Lee version. Absolutely. That so was... organic and not planned out. <laughs> yeah, we have lots and lots and lots of good stuff. <laughs> okay, well, next, uh, dear listener, is the annotated acknowledgement section, which uh, you're going to listen to I actually want to start with the acknowledgments. Oh, uh, the, the acknowledgments were really interesting because it reminds me that this book arguably isn't actually the Hobbit. The book we're reading mm. really is the annotated Hobbit. It is actually written by a different person and it includes the complete text of the Hobbit. That's an interesting way to put it. It is therefore a version of the Hobbit, but all of the things that are new about this book or written about this book come from an entirely different person and or people. That's true. So the acknowledgement is very much that person saying, taking their own credit. You, That's you can Douglas notice that. Anderson, right? Douglas Anderson? Right. Yeah. You can notice that also in the, in the uh, dedication page, which are absolutely for, from and for people related to the annotated version of this book. So sure I think that? that's very interesting. Uh, the first, uh, yeah, the first one says, I cannot imagine a pleasanter old age than one spent in the not too remote country where I can read and reread and annotate my favorite books. Oh, no, you got me. You're right. What we um, read with pleasure, we read again with pleasure. Horace. So this is another uh, great example of, again, just how strong we started, <laughs> I think, because points are made organically. And that's something that I, I just didn't feel like we could really like justifiably pretend was organic in recreation so you know it, it's 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 a fun experiment what we're doing today i've got nothing else to say all right that brings us to the next segment which is a complete diversion and distraction um about the recent uh magic the gathering lord of the rings set that i had gotten to play with and had fun with last week and here you go The popularity of this property has skyrocketed. The Hobbit trilogy came out. The, the Rings of Power series on Amazon. The countless, countless like different uh, iterations and properties, including literally, Rob, one of the things I did this weekend. I did this two days ago. I went to a Magic the Gathering Lord of the Rings series pre-release party. Oh, for the new cards, yeah. Where but the new the new Lord of the Rings cards have come out or are coming out. And I went and bought 
like bought into the pre-release and got some cards and spent a good chunk of the weekend thumbing through them and looking at them and going, oh, look, I know these characters. Oh, that's cute. I like this character. And I have some of them with me right now. And I'm just going to take a little sidetrack here to share some of oh, them with you because I've, we brought in this whole concept. And because some of them, I think, are very interesting in terms of notations and references to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings series that are worth mentioning and celebrating. Do we have a name for this segment? Card Talk. Okay. Uh, we'll, t- we'll, 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 we'll work on it. Brought to you by NPR. And is it interesting that, uh, do you find it interesting that arguably Tolkien inspired Dungeons and Dragons, which kind mm-hmm. of inspired Magic the Gathering, which now has a Tolkien edition? It's come full I, circle. I, it is sort of come full circle. It's also completely, um, reasonable to me. Like it's, 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 it is a little bit rewarding too. To be like, oh, this is nice. Like that's like I feel like Shirley from from fucking uh, community, the community, just feeling like like it just it just feels it's a big, nice, warm, fuzzy feeling from start to finish. Sure, if you like Magic the Gathering, if you like Lord of the Rings and Magic, and you don't the find it uh, the devil's butthole of games. I guess that's a way to to refer to anything. But no, you like it. I'm not trying to look. I'm not trying to yuck your yum. You like eating the devil's butthole. That's fine. Very, very interesting way to say that. I will make sure that your wife hears this um, and knows that you put that on to wax, as they say. Um, she she doesn't want to hear that. Okay, so I have a couple. I'm not going to do all of them, but I have a couple that I think are, are fun and interesting in relation to just a couple things about this set that were interesting and fun. So, okay. first weird thing about this set that I, I noticed and, and got was that... Uh, I feel like they've got jokes, as the kids say. Oh, magic. They got jokes when it comes to Lord of the Rings. The first is, I opened my packs and I I realized that I had gotten not one, not two, but three uh, what they call legendary creatures that are all the eagles. (laughs) Distinct eagles from from the Lord of the Rings series. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, what would distinguish a legendary creature from a regular creature is a regular creature would say it would be called something like Snarling Warg is just a wolf creature that has an ability, just generic Warg. Snarling Warg also sounds like an awesome name for a band. Oh, yeah, it is. But when it comes to a legendary creature, you get you get cards like Denethor, Ruling Steward. Someone who you know as a character and you, is identified, has a history, has specifics. Sure. So when it comes to the eagles... We, uh, the three I have, and I don't know if there's more because I haven't looked into it too deep, but the three I have are Guahir the Windlord, Mendalore Swift Savior, and Landreval Horizon Witness. And they each do different things and they all do very specific things. But the the thing that intrigues me about it is this idea that like, oh, I don't know if these characters actually have names in the in the books, but like, let me put it this way. None of the dwarves from the book we're reading are in this set. There's no Buffer, Biffer, Keely, Feely, uh, Dory, Ori, Nori, Gloin. None of those guys are in this set, which first off makes me think they plan for another set later. But like to sort of shaft all those very recognizable characters and move instead into the fucking Eagles is really funny to me and and interesting. I don't want to diminish the funny for you, but isn't this just a Lord of the Rings set, not a Hobbit set? I guess that's a fair uh, fair thing to say, except that Tom Bombadil's in here. Oh, except, wait, 
and my point with it is I know he's in Lord of the Rings, right? Right. But he's also elsewhere. I'm not sure about this exactly. I don't believe Tom Bombadil's in our book that we're reading this time. I don't know. I don't think he is. But I also think, and, and this is, I don't know anything about this character. I think this is a character from an entirely separate Tolkien story that takes place in Middle Earth from the notes that we've read in, in the annotated version. But Bill Fernie, is that a character that you remember showing up in Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay, then never mind. Uh, I will. I will rescind. I my wouldn't have. I criticisms. would not have remembered um, him until you said his full name. But I do believe he is someone. He might even be a Hobbit, but I believe he's someone the Hobbits deal with on their way towards Bree. He's. He's. Yeah. He's. He's just, uh, specifically referenced as being Bree related in this yes. card. Okay. So anyway, so not only do I get these these like Lord of the Rings eagles, right? Mm-hmm. But then I open one of the packs, and this falls out. Okay, so I, I want to sh- I want to show something really quick. So with the just to emphasize, because you because listener Rob knows very little about magic. If you know anything about it, you'll know why I'm I'm explaining all these very specific things to him. So Rob, you'll see this card here, right? This is one of the eagles. Okay. So card all the cards have the same layout. Sure. The name goes here. The cost goes here. The creature type goes here. The text goes here. Power and toughness goes here, and this right here. That is the set symbol. It denotes rarity and specifically which set that this card comes from. Okay. All of these eagles have the same set symbol because sure. they come from the same set. And and this set came out, again, basically this weekend. So right. it's brand new. Right. In one of my packs, while opening it, this card fell out of the pack. Battleflight Eagle... Uh, Battleflight Eagle fell out of one of my packs. The most important thing about Battlefield Eagle is that it has a, it's from the M13 set. It has a copyright that says 1993 to 2012. This set came out, the card that this set came, uh, or the set that this card came out of came out 10 years ago. I have got to imagine that that it's, it's seemingly random inclusion in this, this pack was not so much. I have a suspicion that the people at Wizards have jokes. (laughs) And they have done things like included cards from older sets in this set as sort of Easter eggs. Like, remember the Eagles? This is a joke, right? It's fucking weird. I don't know. I don't. I may be ascribing too much uh, like intent behind how this happened to pop up, mm-hmm. but it just seems weird. It did happen that way. And I like to imagine that it's exactly because of that. It's exactly to encourage the idea that the Eagles are important in Lord of the Rings and you should play with them. Intriguing. So one of the other things that we should we should address here in the in the cards to, to understand more of the jokes that they have is okay, so for Battleflight Eagle, it has an ability on the card that's called flying. Flying just means that you can't be blocked by creatures without flying, or another ability that says that you can be blocked by them when they're attacking. It's very simple, not a big deal. But there's this other mechanic in magic that's called reminder text. And what that is is when you get a card that has a ability or an aspect that may be new to you or you might not understand there may also be a per- parenthetical that explains what that ability does on the card so you don't have to open up your big rule book and find it and read it so for example this card is called stew the conies uh which is a fantastic flavorful like card and what it says is you uh target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control and create a food token and in that food token thing is a parenthetical text that explains what food tokens are what they do all of that there are certain abilities that don't need that flavor text that reminder text because everyone knows these abilities they've been around for 30 years abilities like flying didn't need that reminder text however because they've got jokes rob because they have jokes 
they created a Shadowfax card. And Shadowfax, the creature, has an ability called Haste. Haste is such an old classic ability you would not need the reminder text for. However, this card has, parenthetical, Haste means they can attack and tap as soon as they come under your control. So why would Shadowfax need the reminder text for an ability so classic as Haste? Do you want an answer? Or I do we... want the answer. I want oh, you to tell um, me. Because there's a, an actual line from the book and movie that involves the word haste. Exactly, which is? Oh, show us the meaning of haste. Or show them the Shadow meaning Shadow facts. Show them the meaning of yeah. haste. So the card shows us the meaning of haste with its flavor text. I love that. Okay. That is so silly and yes. nuanced and, and completely unnecessary, except, except to ostensibly have what they call flavor text in a card, which again, on Stu the Conies, is this little quote at the bottom that has a quote from the book that says something about Stu and the Conies. I mean, that one could arguably have more flavor if it had taters. <laughs> it's true. But taters don't wriggle. That's true, too. So so I, I love that, that about Shadow Facts and that card, and it's super fun and super silly. And then... That's that's pretty much it. There's plenty of others I uh, in there. Plenty of other cards that would be if you want. If you're interested in Magic the Gathering, go look up that. Buy the sets, whatever. Uh, they can be fucking expensive. The there is a they have packs right now for this set, Rob. That were they were selling for forty dollars a piece. It was ludicrous. Yeah, it was it was baffling. Uh, I know. I mean, they have like they're supposed to have like more collectible versions of the cards in there, but fuck that's all. That's what of I was going to ask. Nonsense. How do they know? But for something on the outside of the pack says this one's more expensive. Yep. Gotcha. So that happened. That was part of what I did this weekend. Very Lord of the Rings filled weekend. Okay. So on that, I still don't like Magic the Gathering. I and I think that's part of the issue is that like to me it was this wonderful world of references and uh, and like using the format that was really awesome. But I realized like in listening to it and halfway through doing the segment last week that it was that the, the conceit of the concept requires that I explain so much about magic ahead of time to just to make sure that the jokes are, are understandable in like a math way, mm -hmm. but like not in a funny way. And I think <laughs> that that is one of those segments I would, I would have cut or not. I would have been like, yeah, that sucks. We should, it's like, I get the intention of why you'd want to do that, but like, it just doesn't work here. So cut it is what I would have said, but here we are. Um, <laughs> now you get the all, whole thing. All that being said, let's talk more about magic. The gathering. Lord of the yeah, sure. So because one of you the do like it, and I'm sorry I couldn't engage with you on and, that level. And, and here's a lot more of me explaining too much to share things <clears throat> that I think are cool that are absolutely not for everyone. So here we go. Um, so a while ago, Magic started doing this thing to enhance their collectability, which it's already a, a collectible thing, but they you can never have enough collectability. And not seeing their market as akin to the 90s comic book market at all, uh, they are making the exact same mistakes publishers did in the mid-90s about how to make things more artificially collectible. For example, 
shiny covers, alternative covers, foil embossed covers, foil embossed covers, fold out die cut covers, hologram covers, all of that shit. Yeah, if you weren't alive then, you don't understand. You just won't, and you haven't done the research. You just won't understand how much and how diverse and how there was no idea bad enough to not do. I was there, man. I I, <laughs> I was in the thick of it. I was yeah. in soup. Yeah, so I think I'm actually looking at my X Men. Oh no, holographic cover epi- uh, issues right now. Wow, I didn't realize See? they were up here. That's that's funny. They are. Uh, it's it's a thing that sticks with us. Mm-hmm. That uh, time period really led to this boom and this bubble that burst for the comic book collector and and the business itself. Uh, nearly killed Marvel Comics. Magic is doing something extremely similar right now, where they are making alternative art versions of cards, foil versions of those alternative art versions of the cards, you know, reprints that are different, different arts, all this different like variety and variations. And it's all, I don't know how else to explain it, but like, you know, in in the way I have already, which is just, it's, it's mass reproduction of the same product with a different skin. And that builds a secondary market that in some ways can be very healthy, but also ways that can be very sickly. And one of the most recent new gimmicks they've done is what they've called numbered card, serialized cards. So what that is, is you'll get a card. Let's just for the sake of argument, because I don't want to explain, I don't want to get into the weeds of it again. Let's say you have a card that's just Frodo Baggins, lead character, hero of Lord of the Rings. Everybody knows Frodo. But then they say, well, Frodo's not enough. What if we have all these other art versions of Frodo? And you say, oh, cool, we're going to have all these other art versions of this card. And they say, yeah, but what if we also had 75 numbered individual versions of Frodo Baggins that all had the same variation, but we know because we stamped the cards with a number that says 35 of 75 and back and forth throughout all of them, that when collectors get that card, they know they have how many of this in the world there are so there's only 75 of this card in the world yes okay now this is not like i could collect one through 75 as my own personal collection and 800 other people could do the same thing there's only only one person ever could do that yes okay that's exactly the situation and so those cards and and this has been going on for a while where it's been but the numbers will go higher like 250 or a thousand or something like that but they they go up there and uh manufactured scarcity exactly built-in scarcity so it's it's definitely a thing that they've been doing for a while, and they've been clearly very successful at it. And then, what do you know, they start build, building this Lord of the Rings set. And what do you think they do, Rob? They have, they have to have a one ring card? Oh, yes. That is exactly what they did. Is that the is that the $2 million card that I saw in an article? Ye- about? Oh, yes. I didn't even read it. I just saw, like, the $2 million card has been found. Yes. So, the $2 million card has been found. So, what they did is they took a card that they were building called the One Ring, which is a card you can anyone can get from the sets. It has a certain amount of rarity, but there's plenty of it. And there's plenty of variation versions of them, and they all go for different amounts of money or whatever. But there's one that's a serialized one of one. The only one One Ring that existed out there. And it was a huge marketing success in terms of pushing out product. So, it, it was okay. a... It was a Wonka-esque sure. idea. I just, I just, it just seems like it happened so suddenly. Like, are they kicking themselves that it's already been found? Oh, they, sh- I, I imagine they will be. I imagine that 
card shops will be. But but again, that's let's just for the sake of the audience clarify. So that happened. They made this card. It intensified this hunt for the one ring where Twitch streamers, uh, live streamers, TikTokers, YouTubers were all making videos, ripping open packs like Wonka, like like Charlie and the Chocolate like, Factory, making like big Rook TV Assault. spectacles. Exactly. Just like opening as many as they could to try to find it. And uh, building a following, because that's the thing that they were actually getting out of it, was people who also wanted to see that moment happen, paying attention and watching. Well, it boomed like that for a week, and then a couple of uh, days ago, uh, last week, their uh, news broke that not only had the One Ring been found, Magic the Gathering themselves clarified, oh yeah, it's been found, it's been graded by a high-grade card grader. Immediately placed in Plutonite. Yeah, and, and I ironically uh, graded at 9 out of 10, which is really funny. Um, like, I'm sure it's a fair grading, but it just seems, it seems a little petty. It seems like a little bit, like, like there's only one of one. I get that certain card damage decreases value no matter what card you're talking about. And, like, you know, edge scuffing or back scratch, whatever the fuck. Foxing. But like, yeah, but, but seriously, it's one of one. It's the one of one ring. It doesn't fucking matter what the grade is. Like, the grading is the least important part of this. It's just the putting it in the plastic so no one can touch it again. Mm -hmm. That's been found in, yes, uh, as you you, uh, saw, there were bounties placed on it for up to, at a certain point, like $2 million saying, hey, whoever builds that or buys that ring, uh, I will pay you $2 million for it. So that's why it went to the grading. That's why it's was such a big hunt because it wasn't just a, Hey, cool. I got the cool thing. It was a, Hey, I got the cool thing. And also I'm going to be a millionaire now. (laughs) So personal question. Yeah. If you had got that card, would you sell it? Of course. Oh, okay. Oh, absolutely. There would be no, well, the, 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 the joke answer is no, I'd go to Hawaii and throw it in a volcano. Um, the, the right answer is yeah, I'd fucking sell it. I'd sell it and (laughs) become a millionaire and then quit my job. And like, just, Live I mean, it's off. only two million. That's not a great amount of money. It isn't, but it's enough. It's enough to, to quit your job. It's enough to quit my job and probably be fine. Not quit um, your job it, forever. You get another job one day. Maybe, but like, why would I? I mean, if I could, like, think about how many years a million would turn into if I'm just living on the budget I have today, right? Like, it's a lot. Uh, okay, okay. It's decades, Rob. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Decade. Now, granted, I'd have to pay taxes on the on the money, probably, sure. unless we do it under the table, and I just have cash uh, forever. But yeah, like of course, of course I would, of course I would. There's 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 no that that believe me, that is well beyond the value of a collectible for me to go. No, 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 I love it too much. <laughs> like no, 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 it's mine. I have a, it's my precious. Like no, of course not. Fuck that. Take it. Give me. Get, shut up and t- give me the money. Shut up. <laughs> That's absolutely what I would do. So yeah, that's uh, that's the addendum to that segment. The One Ring's been found. Uh, Magic the Gathering is continuing to rise in popularity and be extravagantly expensive. And and that's that's that. Okay, so the next segment brings us to... The introduction. All right. The introduction to this book is a 30-page biography of Tolkien covering his childhood, formal education, and beyond into the adulthood of his career in academia. The birth of his children and his greatest works of all, the publication of The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Sorry, Chris. 
Sorry, Michael. <laughs> just think, you know those movies where the parents like, hey, you're the greatest thing I ever did. Not for the Tolkien family. No, obviously not. No. Like I, 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 the, the, I think that the best part of what I, having not read them, I think the best part of what those Father Christmas letters must have been like is at the end where Santa goes, and I want you to know your father loves you very much and he's very proud of you, but not as proud. <laughs> he even in a language, is. man. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> this guy's nuts. He, his work is so great. Why would you say of- that, Father? It's right here in the letter. I don't know his, what the accent that is. His work was so great that your lives will be consumed with stewarding it. <laughs> right, um, I'm J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Got a letter from Fall for Christmas, don't I? Rob, Apologies to literally everyone. We learned in the in the introduction here that he was South African, so it please. Please throw a South African accent on. That's not going to happen. Okay. Uh, Also, I doubt he had one. No, I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. I think. Look, just for the sake of you and I, I think South Africans basically like if you if like I know this is going to sound really basic and simple, but it's it's just mix a Dutch accent with an English accent. See, I always hear it as as like um, Australian related. I hear the Australian DNA in there. I, I I know I know why, but it's like it's it's a little softer. It's it's, it's just this oh, it's like going down. It's like the New Zealand accent, but goes down instead of high rising. Terminal. I think it does still high rise a oh, little, fuck. but like it's it's not at, it's it's muted. That's all I'm trying to say is it's Australian. It's muted Australian without any of that. Like there's not as much of the same kind of twang. And you say there's Dutch in it. Like how? What do I know from Dutch? I, gold member. That's it. Yeah, sure. I don't know Goldmember. Well, you sounds like you have some research to do. Um, <laughs> all right. So, notes on this section. Uh, I have a note here that uh, just as a as a comment on the thing we talked about in the one of the episodes in Children of Fury and about Stephen Colbert and about Tolkien and about Catholicism. In this section, they do clarify that. Tolkien's mother converted to Roman Catholicism and was subsequently exiled and essentially shunned by her Protestant family. And that uh, apparently continued even after her death. They don't really, I don't remember them getting into it that much, but it was nice to have that sort of like annotated and say, hey, by the way, the thing you talked about, yes, Catholic. So uh, now you're going to hear three segments of the original analysis we had on the introduction. um, And we'll talk about that. after you hear them. So I have this whole thing I wrote here, like a paragraph. Not sure. sure, uh, Why I wrote it. Let's read it together. I'm going to eat a bagel while you do. do go for it. He was sitting at home at his desk correcting school certificate examination papers on English literature. Ellipses. In quotes, one of the candidates had mercifully left out one of the pages with no writing on it, which is the best thing that can possibly happen to an examiner. And I wrote on it, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not to bring it back to Hannibal Lecter, but doesn't that seem like the elaboration of a bad liar? (laughs) I was wondering, was Tolkien just examining 
tests or whatever, correcting school certificate examination papers on English literature, and someone had doodled in the ground of the hole, there lived a hobbit, and that sent him down this road where he created this entire mythology, but did, maybe he didn't create it. Maybe that was some student just fucking around writing, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And uh, With God, all things are possible. So it's entirely, uh, it, it, could, it <laughs> could entirely be the case. But... Uh, even if that is the case, that the the spark of inspiration that created that first sentence was actually someone else's. No one else wrote the book. Yeah. Well, the 15 years of history. Yeah. He, he had a student chained up in his basement. <laughs> wow. I didn't in expect well. this to go there. In a well. In a hole in the ground under my house, there is a student. <laughs> Not a dry, comfortable hole. No, this is a wet, dank hole with oozy smells. <laughs> And in, in that whole, when it comes to students, that means discomfort. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, th- that, that sounds fine. Um. <laughs> it writes the words upon the leaves or else it gets the spiky greaves. Wow. Yeah, sure. Why not? Aren't, aren't greaves those like old timey like gauntlets? That yeah. That's war. Okay. Uh, gre- greaves, I think, are also boots. Uh, oh, there you go. They're still, they can still have spikes. They right. can like have spikes. Yep. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to keep on with these uh, notes okay. unless you have any introduction notes. I have some introduction notes, but I'll wait till you're done. Sure. When C.S. Lewis said of The Hobbit, I think it's good until the end. Do you think he meant good to the end and like it's good to the last drop? Kind of good to the end? Or that the book was great until the climax and then eh? I think that if you hadn't asked me that, I would have had a different answer. Oh, okay. I think that it is actually good to the last drop. I hadn't even considered that as an option. I had completely read it, internalized it, and processed it as him saying, good, eh, except for the ending. But just something about the old-fashioned way these people speak. I'm like, oh, I can see him going, The Hobbit, why, it's good to the end. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I think you were entirely correct. I'm so grateful that you said that because I thought he was saying like, yeah, the ending sucks. He's a little Stephen Kingy. And <laughs> and I was I was like, oh, that's kind of a shitty thing for a friend to say in a positive note. Mm. And then but I was also kind of processing what I know about the ending and my foreknowledge of the ending is that it has they've talked about it a little bit either in the preface or it. In one of our notes, but that that thing about afternoon tea where where, where Bilbo has a sort of heartbreaking like goodbye with the dwarves where he like sort of bids them adieu and is is sort of uh, reluctantly dismissing them. And mm-hmm. he says that thing about like, come by whenever you want. Just tea, afternoon teens at four kind of thing like that really felt like a good ending. Like it feels like a really good ending for this book. I don't know why someone would shit on it. And that's what right. was confusing me. So I'm very grateful that you cleared that up because I was very much like fucking CS Lewis is such a dick. Um, <laughs> but no, I do actually think it's get your it's head out of your ass land. <laughs> yes. I think that is much more like what you were saying. Is that I like, what you I like that too. I like, I, I would hate to think yeah. that, you know, since they're friends and that was his like professional, you know, book jacket quote, the Hobbit. Right. Yeah, good until the end. <laughs> Read, you'll love everything except how it ends, and in that moment, you'll regret reading it, but... (laughs) Arguably the point of a story. Please get to that point. Okay, now, I have to go ahead and ruin our conversation we just had. Go for it. Because my next note says, oh, C.S. Lewis didn't love the ending. Apparently there's something in the text that says that. 
I guess it's probably because everyone didn't die in a horrific train accident and go to lion heaven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, this well, is what happens when I, wrote, when I read and wrote this like a month ago. I forgot all of, all these things. So, yeah, apparently something in here talks about C.S. Lewis actively not liking the ending. So we're going back to C.S. Lewis being an asshole. Do you remember where that is? I don't. I don't. I did. Unlike the Michael Tolkien one. Let's say that it's still up in the air and open for debate until you find evidence. I want to find I'm not going to take your now. word that there was evidence. Why don't you see if you have any notes and I'll half listen. I to do have a note. Look for this. That's what I want. Okay, so you just listened to Rob's analysis about uh, Tolkien stealing the the concept of the Hobbit from a a student he had locked in a dungeon. Um, Pure you theory. Heard I'm not. I'm <laughs> not accusing anybody. No one's litigating this. Habeas on, corpus. Habeas. Hobbit. Hobbitus corpus. Hobbitus corpus. Wow. If the annotated Death Readers wasn't already definitely going to be our episode title, Hobbitus Corpus was a strong contender. So you heard about that. You heard about the the entire arc of C.S. Lewis is, is, isn't a dick. And then also C.S. Lewis is a dick. So he came <laughs> back strong. He was the secret villain. <laughs> I still think that I'm, I don't think we have any of your evidence about where he addresses it. He didn't like the ending. Oh, no, it's... Oh, you're... Uh, I, mm, no? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't think okay. so. Well, he, I, we either have it or we don't, so... If, if, we do, if we do have it, this can be easily cut. If we don't have it, addressed it adequately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so good! I know, it's... it's this, is, this is exactly how all people with ADHD should do podcasts. It's <laughs> just trying to jump around in timelines and figure out where they are and keep everything... Keep all the balls in the air at the same time. That's... that's Look, we can't go wrong. And, and it will definitely make for great listening. You all love this. So, now we're going to move on past the... Uh, we've done with the annotations. That's it. Thank you for listening to the annotated... Uh, the podcast we're going to move on to actually just doing the rest of the show that we didn't do at this point in the past um we just decided look the internet connection's too bad too many people it seems are are using the the connections and the tubes are full my so wife was hungry she was but we i wouldn't have thrown her under the bus like that didn't so throw nowhere <laughs> we're gonna start up here which is right before chapter one in a section called Something like notes on dwarves. So uh, essentially this section is an element of the preface where Tolkien explains why he uses dwarves as the plural for dwarfs in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings and in his entire mythos. He acknowledges that it was a mistake, but he also thinks that it's a mistake that makes sense with English. and how dwarf and wharves. Right, right. Um, and, and of Horse and wharves. But, uh, and also elf and elves. Sure. I think uh, so. So it's 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 so many different things here. Cliffs and uh, cliffs, hoof and hooves. Did you say that one already? No, no. I'm 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 being far more creative. Okay, that's what this section is about. And uh, in it, at some point, we also addressed, or it's also brought up that uh, Tolkien had a deep disdain for Disney. And and at a certain point in this annotation. There's a, uh, a suggestion that is this is his disdain for Disney specifically because of the proximity of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs 
release around the time of I think the Hobbit. I think and I he wouldn't. I know. I guess he was around for a few more Disney releases, but I feel like Snow White's the big one. Well, he he lived through the seventies, so I mean, not through, but he lived. He died in the seventies. Gotcha. Um. So. So he had a lot of exposure to Disney if he wanted it, but it sounds like he really just didn't like the way Walt Disney did animation specifically, but honestly, it sounds like he didn't even like the way he did storytelling. My guess is that like he probably resented the hard avoidance of any of the grimness of the grim fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's that more than the uh, dislike of the art, art style of animation. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know about the art direction or which I, I don't, can't remember the, the notes if that was part of it or not. Cause, cause he definitely had like in his own art that's shown in this annotated version. Uh, they were pretty, you know, goofy looking sometimes. Yeah. Um, I saw this really amazing cover. Let me see if I could find it on the internet while I'm talking about it. This really amazing cover for the Hobbit. Yeah, here it is. That's like just so fucking cool. It's this, uh, the Dutch, I think it's supposed to be the Dutch version of The Hobbit. Maybe Uh-oh. it's a, yeah, it's a Dutch version. F- uh, I published like by- gold. <laughs> published by Prisma Boken. And it shows a little Bilbo on the cover surrounded by like eight dwarves. And the dwarves very much look like, <laughs> like garden gnomes. Mm-hmm. It's the best way I can describe them. They all look like colorful garden gnomes. Yep. And I don't think he did the art for this, but it's it's like sometimes his art does look like that. So if you're listening, go ahead and Google up. Uh, honestly, that's all I did was Googled Dutch the Hobbit cover, and I got exactly what I was looking for. It looks very simple. It, it's very, very childlike and, 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 and playful, but more in that Disney vein than I expected. Sure. So, yeah, um, that was a pretty big revelation. Tolkien didn't like Disney and what a blessing then that the property was never or has yet to be acquired by the mouse because holy shit would it, I mean, talk about turning over in your grave. Like I, whoever sells, whoever eventually sells the hobbits rights and and the Lord of the Rings rights to Disney, because I feel like that's inevitable. They're going to end up like the, uh, like the, like the, the, the undead oath breakers in, uh, and they're going to be haunted forever in a, in a life of undeath. You make it sound like Disney's some sort of uh, black hole of IP that's just sucking up uh, other IPs until it's, you know, hitting critical mass. and Yeah. Creation Desk and Event Horizon and other science terms. Yeah, and, and I think uh, people are going to stop giving a shit about them, and they're either going to keep holding them and keep hoarding them, or they're going to have to sell them off at some point. But, like... The company certainly hasn't had any massive upheavals recently, so I'm sure everything's fine. If Disney will ever buy the IP to a person. Um, I think what you're I think you're just using the wrong terms and I think they have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rob, brought to you by Disney. I think like you I, I have a hard time believing that they won't own the image rights to Harrison Ford at some point. Mm-hmm. Or um I mean, they've got the voice rights to James Earl Jones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, so that, yeah, I think it's only a matter of time if they haven't already done that. I mean, I know that like Lucas did that. That was famously what he did, where it was like, I own your likeness rights so that I can continue to make toys and shit about the characters that you played 
forever. And I don't know how much of those guys got out of that. I guess is very little. Hmm. So likeness rights and reproduction rights, who knows who has what, but boy, do I expect it to be a thing that is there for a long time. So anyway, that's the notes on dwarves. Did you have any other notes on dwarves? I did not. Then let's finally get into chapter one. An unexpected party. We begin The Hobbit with Bilbo Baggins surprised by an overly familiar old wizard who insists they're to go on an adventure together. The bewildered Hobbit refuses, but by the next day he finds himself host to the wizard and 12? 13. I think 13. 13 strange dwarves. I, again, I could be wrong. Gandalf the wizard has volunteered Bilbo to accompany Thorin to the kingdom under the Lonely Mountain, where a usurping dragon named Smaug has taken up residence in the ancestral, in his ancestral kingdom. Flustered, embarrassed, and overwhelmed, Bilbo agrees to accompany the dwarves on their journey to reclaim Erebor in the morning. But we don't know it's called Erebor yet. We don't know that. I know that. We know that, but <laughs> the book doesn't say that, but we know that. Bruce McCullough, everyone. Okay, so uh, notes. Um, my first note is a note about no notes in that I feel like I should have more notes, but the reading is too enjoyable compared oh, to previous uh, things we've read, even by this author. So I don't really have a, for a note until page 49. So what do you got until then? Um, I don't have page notes at all, so I just have notes. Um, well, since we're reading the same book, I figured we could do page notes, but apparently we're not. Well, this one just didn't have them. They do later. Oh, interesting. I have a, I have a note here in my, my references that is all caps and writes, this is where we stopped. Um, <laughs> so that's coming up. It says here in the, in this uh, chapter that Bilbo's house has lots of pegs for hats and coats because he likes visitors. Get ready to put that notion to the test. And oh boy, does he. Mm-hmm. And, and to the point where I think they even comment on, he likes visitors, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, so there's there's that in the in, in the book. Uh, my next note is just a question of, is it noteworthy that in the midst of hearing a description of Bilbo's genealogy, that Gandalf should appear quite abruptly? And my real question is, Knowing what we know and have knowing what we've read through when it comes to the children of Hurin and how much of that book is just genealogy and places and and tracing family lineages is, is it, is it, I kind of took it and I know this isn't intentional because of the publication order, but it felt like a joke almost like, hey, we're about to get into that really boring fucking thing you hate from the last book. Boof, here's Gandalf. Let's just start the story. (laughs) Maybe, but that's like a meta-contextual read it is. because there was no last book at that point. I know. There's a handful of I mean. notes in a drawer. Yes, it it doesn't it didn't exist, but I I take that I I interpret that and read that for myself in you a meta-contextual way. I feel like Tolkien way. had a had a had an apology he needed to get out just because he knew the horror he wrought upon the written page. <laughs> yes, got it. I think he would, he eventually, he, I think he understood how dry people would find him. <laughs> we know his mom was Catholic, so he uh-huh. clearly felt the need to atone. Oh, yeah. If, and if you're, if you're Catholic or raised by Catholics, you know how much pre-guilt you live with for every decision you make. Say five uh, hail Belladonna Tooks. 
<gasps> oh, I would. No one would hail her. They would avoid her. What? I'm just saying. But, but she's the Madonna to uh, Bilbo. Jesus. Bel- Belladonna took. Belladonna took. Isn't that his? That's his mom. Why would her name not be? No, Belladonna took is the is the, she's alive for one. Um, I don't think his parents are alive. I don't think Bilbo's parents are alive. I'm pretty sure Belladonna Took is Pippin's aunt or something like that. She's the one who wants the house. No. No. That's somebody with a hyphenated last name. The Saxville Bagginses? Yes. Belladonna Took was the mother of Bilbo Baggins. Oh, really? Man, I messed that up then. Sackville Baggins, exactly. Yes, thank you, because I couldn't think of it, but that is... All I know, <laughs> just to keep further going into the weeds before we come out again, all I know is it was played by the mom from Dead Live. Wow. See, I thought that that the reason Bilbo had Bag End was because his parents left it to him. It is. And the Sackville so, Baggins won it from him. But but if Belladonna Took is alive and she's his mom... She's not alive. She's not alive. I don't believe she's alive. I'm not sure where you're getting this Belladonna Took's alive business. Okay. I just okay, sorry. I thought she was alive in the in the story. They refer to her by her surname instead of saying Belladonna Baggins. Maybe that's your confusion. Yep, probably. Um, those those damn progressive hobbits. Um, all right. So yeah, great one, great joke, Rob. I was on I was on the same page. <laughs> I'm I'm not the guy who didn't know what, what we were talking about. What book are well, we? No, reading? we're gonna, we're gonna dig into this a little bit more. She died in uh, Third Age, twenty nine thirty four doesn't say anything else about that. Hold on. Eight years after her husband, leaving Bilbo the master of Bag End. Oh, shit. That's just like what happened to, uh, to Tolkien. Yeah. Her portrait on the wall in Bag End and Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Ring was based on Fran Walsh's appearance. In the extended edition, she appears in a flashback scene showing the first meeting between Gandalf and young Bilbo. I didn't know about that. I don't remember that. I never watched an extended Hobbit. I have watched I like, all of them, and I don't remember that. Because I was like, Jesus, this... How did Bungo and Belladonna die? Oh, right. They went out rowing. They drowned. Did Smeagol kill them? Maybe. Anyways, I think the takeaway is I was right. Yep. And that's the takeaway I want everyone to remember. Belladonna Madonna. Rob was right. I am full of episode titles today. This this uh, this edition (laughs) of Rob was right is a one of one. (laughs) Oh, fuck you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we kid, we kid. <laughs> now we can actually start with my page notes. My page next page note is page forty-four. So okay. that's still before yours, right? Yep, yep, yep. All right. So this is, <laughs> listeners. This is actually. We've never been further from the Shire than this point. So, so the podcast he- goes ever on. Yes. So if we take one note further. <laughs> um, okay. So here we go. Page 44. Uh, we did talk about this actually, but, but I'll, you are still I recording, will, right? Yeah, 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 I'm okay. still recording. Okay. But I will bring this up. We'll do it again. And okay. it's it's just it's going to be just as confusing as it was the last time. Oh, great. All right, guys, buckle up. Knowing that in the Arda creation myth, Iluvatar spoke existence into being and then created the Ainur, who, 
with Iluvatar's thematic suggestions, sang all things into being until a discordant note rose in the music belonging to the rebel Melkor. Unable to incorporate Melkor's music into his grander themes, Iluvatar stopped the music altogether. This makes me curious about the use of music in Tolkien's work. What does the dwarves' penchant for music and singing suggest? And I want to point out that I don't just mean the fact that like some of the first songs we hear or see in the book are like are these these two songs the dwarves sing at Bilbo's house, but also that like they're all always apparently carrying musical instruments with them. So you th- you're you're suggesting it's like a religious experience to sing for them? I don't think that they see it like that. I th- I wonder if Tolkien sees it like that. Mm. I don't think it's so much an in-world acknowledgement of something like, well, you know, I'm better than you because I can play music. I think it is part of Tolkien. I'm wondering, I guess, is if it's part of Tolkien's overall appreciation for the act of creation, mm. where where it, it certainly seems like a big chunk of his philosophy has to do with what makes us the most in tune with God is our ability to also create things. Not just things based on the things that we have, but things out of whole cloth like imagination, like fiction, like myth and fairy stories. So, like, I think that when it comes and in that those things are often all lumped together in the same concept of this umbrella called art. And so it makes me wonder if he sees if he would put artistic work into the hands of people he deems good. So whereas if he puts like just rote mechanical work, which he I think he actually sees as not being the same level of like creation. So like craftsmanship versus art? Or like what happens to with Sauron, like what Sauron does to the Entwood. Mm-hmm. Like mm. when when Sauron tears down to build up, right. that's a bad kind of creation. Like that's the kind of creation that abuses and doesn't make good use of. Um, that's a destructive creation, which he, I think he doesn't like. Um, it, it also has to do with like technology. I think that's a big part of him is he, he actually thinks that there's like limits to what, like, I think, I think Tolkien would be really anti AI in the sense of there's no, there's no joy. There's no soul in making a program to simulate creativity. Right. Um, and I think that he's like turning feedback into music. Yes. Yes. But again, like without, but, but not, but by, but if you did it with intention and and a and a goal, that's different. But sure. Like, but if you just it's like dancing to feedback. Sure. But again, I mean, I don't I don't know if that's I don't know if there's a I'm great metaphor come up here. With something. I don't think there's a great simile for this. Um, it's just it just is like the difference between making something mechanical that is cold and mm-hmm. like steely versus making something fresh. Like I, I think if you look at the difference between like the way that the tower in Isengard looks versus the way Hobbiton looks like how much wood and warmth and, and like food again, I think food is a big one for him. Comfort. Yeah. Yeah. All, all these things that are, yeah. Um, but, but even things like making creation with how you make food, like that's its own thing that isn't, it's in the service of life as opposed to like stamping it out. I don't know. Oh, look, look, I think the guy had a lot of beef with the way world war one went. And I think that he, 
saw machinery as a massive element of of destruction because of that war mm-hmm. and his experience there. And so I think that he had a really like a, a huge chip on his shoulder when it came to that is what technology eventually and inevitably becomes used for. So let's just I would I think he would rather live a comfortable, comfy country lifestyle. And I think he bestows those values, which, again, feel a little quaint, but also wholesome. <laughs> yes. To to these to these characters who are our hero characters. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a huge element of all of the hero characters that uh, are there. Even, even if you look at something like Minas Tirith being built out of like the rock of a mountainside. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's it's still just made of stone. It's like the stone itself. Yes. Had to be, you know hewn and like and 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 molded to fit the shape of what it was doing but it's not the same as like tearing down a whole forest right. to fuel to fuel war engines so i think that there's going to be a lot of that those those little like analogies or parallels in these stories i think they're going to get a lot more significant in the next trilogy i think the hobbit's going to be way less of that but i'm kind of on the lookout for them now and I can see this here starting this, this element of, again, okay, so if you, if you take a step back and think about what Tolkien's doing as he is the creator, right? Like, I'm not going to say that he sees himself as Iluvatar. I think that that's far too literal. But if you just look at every act of creative work as the literal creation myth for the thing that's happening that you're creating, mm-hmm. then the act of creating itself is is like godliness so to give your characters that ability that to give them the opportunity to also create is a way of like having this through line i think is how he thought of it like this this like this string of connection between cre- from creation to creator to creator to creator to creator and I think that he sees, I think he sees that as being a very significant thing. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, uh, it makes me wonder about, again, just the use of music. And I'm going to be kind of on the lookout for more music later because I don't know if there is, because I've just been curious about this idea of the discordant note that Melkor provides. Like, is it just like, is it is it pure disruption or is it musical too? Like, is it is it just deviance or is it is Discordant there artistry in a, to it? in a in a complimentary way right like, like is Aaron it like Copeland symphony or is it like turning on the distortion filter on a guitar you're still playing chords and melodies but now it has this like uh you know grungy like fucking like staticky sound to it that that some people would find abrasive and upsetting but others would find gorgeous and like perfect it just I'm curious about those things, and I, I don't think he's going to ever provide a specific answer. No, I don't think he is. So it's just going to be continuing to be speculation on this shit forever. But that's a uh, that's that, I guess we will have to look out for it. I think it's very an interesting observation. If you if you yeah, like if you see something or see a, a chain, a, uh, something that challenges that or, or, or whatever, please bring it up because it's uh, it's one of the elements I'm the most curious about with this this book and his, his work is like seeing things, seeing these themes that he values and his core values pop through mm-hmm. and appreciating the, the person who wrote them 
as well as appreciating the writing itself. Because I think that's the thing that, honestly, that's the thing that's most interesting to me is it makes me wonder how much of this stuff he was actively thinking about when he was writing it. Like, is he thinking like, well, of course the dwarves would have instruments. They are good. You know, they are uh, heroes. Mm -hmm. They are sub creators. They are, you know, they're going to be making things just like I make things. And, and music's one of those things. Anyway. Uh, Do the goblins make music? I can't remember. I It's a good, yeah, let's, let's, let's look for it. All right, my next note is page uh, 57. All right, well, then page 49. Um, just got me, something Gandalf said, and I don't even remember what it was now, but why? Why did you pick Bilbo for this? Why Bilbo? Right. Why did you want to bring in this outsider hobbit? What's extra thing do you know? What makes you think this is a good idea? Is Gandalf omniscient? Well, they mention it a little bit. They talk about the uh, his 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 took ancestor uh, having this like penchant for uh, adventure and, and violence. Where he, okay, he, that's that's perhaps why specifically Bilbo, but why a Hobbit? Why are you coming to Hobbiton to make this happen? Well, beside oh, that's I think that's the main reason. But I think it's also that like they haven't explained it, but I think Gandalf has a deep affection and love for hobbits. There's something about them and the way that they live that I think he sees as the best of all creatures. <laughs> um, I think he sees them as they have all the right. They are so much more fun than everyone else. So he's like and a they, mascot or a lucky rabbit's foot. No, it's it's more than that because it's like I think Gandalf feels like he is in the presence of people who were doing it right when he's around hobbits. Hmm. That's the best way I can say it. So I think when Gandalf sees a hobbit. Or or Gandalf wants a hobbit to go with him on this adventure. It's not only because I think he truly believes that Bilbo can pull off this stuff. Also because I think Gandalf enjoys being around hobbits. Gotcha. Um, So uh, like it it, like when he's going to be stuck with 13 dwarves and a hobbit, at least he's got the hobbit to to like remind him that the world is worth fighting for stuff like that i guess um that's a lot of speculation i think in the reality it is that uh bilbo's the audience surrogate bilbo is the you know the closest tolkien could write to himself and pre-war tolkien that is the character who needs the adventure like it's a couple of these moments where you know these questions about like you can promise i will come back right and it's like no and i even if you do i can't promise that you'll be the same kind of stuff right and it's like that's that's the thing that makes this story, I think, so far at least, one of, so powerful for me is like, heroes with a thousand faces are obvious and and ex- it exists, but like like that's they're all essentially the same story, right? This one kind of looks you in the face and says it in these ways. It sort of says, "This is an allegory." Not not it's not an allegory because they didn't talk in allegories, but like. This is a lesson for you, the reader. Gotcha. Like this is a lesson for you. Terrible, maybe. Yeah. When 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 you're going to do things that are scary and new, and they are scary and new because you know they are going to change you, and you know you might not be okay when you do them. But the reality is, when you're done, you might just be a better, more developed person, and that's a risk worth taking. I think is the whole, I think honestly it feels like one of the biggest tenets of this book having not read it I think that that like I can see that as a big thing and I like that in terms of why in terms of why Bilbo mm-hmm. that's why Bilbo okay. Bilbo has to be all those things 
that seems like an unlikely adventuring companion in order to show you how much you might see yourself as an unworthy adventuring companion, but how much you can achieve too. It's a very positive read. I like it. Thanks. I've got three notes in a row from 55 through 57. Oh my God. My notes are, I think I'm realizing why my notes are fucking weird. Okay. Why I have a note on, I have a note because I, because I read it backwards because I read it twice. Oh, right. So like, so my notes, my next note is on page 57, but the next note after that is page 35 and I'm looking at it going, I know I'm not insane. Why did I do that? And I know, and I figured it out. Okay. So my next notations after the fact. Yes. (sighs) Well, now I think you can understand why there's a better way to do it. Nope, it's not. It's not. This is the only way to do it. Well, clearly I'll have to take your page 35 note and annotate it back into the podcast earlier. It's fine. Leave this description in about it's it. It's fine. Um, if because because it's not a note on the book we're reading. It's a note on the book we're reading. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Fifty five. I like the addition of the toy market of Dale in Thorne's description of wealthier times. That seemed like a great little. Right, this is ultimately a dad telling his uh, story to, a, to his kids, and they like toys. Yeah. Uh, someone there, I got a note saying, you know, you just don't get good stories with treasure troves anymore. I always love treasure trove stories. They don't make them anymore. Don't you, you said you had a note around here, 50-something. 57. Um, 57. It's, it's a mention of Azog. Yep, and Moria. Because that's my page 57 note, Moria and Azog. Yeah. I had, my note here is uh, Azog the Orc is in this book. Mm -hmm. I had been told that he was a creation of the cinematic uh, universe, and it certainly seems like that's not the case. I feel like this mention, and maybe something in the appendices of Lord of the Rings, is where they drew all that stuff from. Okay. And they, they cobble that together to add to the movies is, I think, more the uh, accusation there. However, that, that that's a great lead into my next note and my final for this chapter. Uh, man, per the annotations that I've just read, Lord of the Rings appendices are sounding really interesting and I'm kicking myself that I didn't read them before. Oh, wow. Um, but I was worried that Return of the King would feel like it would never end. Mm-hmm. But I was worried that Return of the King would feel like it would never end. Mm -hmm. I actually wrote in here, in parentheses, pause for laughter. (laughs) Thank you. Jesus. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It would never end. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all... We all lived it, Rob. We were all there in the theater going, What? (laughs) How much fucking more is this? God, I can't wait to go watch Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) <laughs> okay i'm sorry my I'm, I'm okay so back to my my notes that are now about the annotations okay i have to read it read the annotation first just to make sure i'm talking about the right one yes okay <laughs> perfect all right this is a note on page 31 about annotation four my note here says this note represents the best the annotations have to offer, showing how certain sentences were worded in earlier publications and changed for this version. In one sense, including the reference to Lilliputians is a completely reasonable choice. And 
on the other makes a subsequent revision feel like a George Lucas special edition. Hmm. And that, I think, is another really interesting thing to talk about in terms of how we're reading this, is that I... Like, the note essentially says, at some point in describing Hobbit's size, in an earlier version, Tolkien says something like, shorter than a man, shorter than a dwarf, taller than a Lilliputian. And the note says, the annotation says, at some point he realized that making a reference to a different, in like, in our world, literary work would be, would kind of break yeah. the story, would yeah. kind of take away the magic of this being its own world and existing all entirely self-contained. It would be featuring so, a fourth wall. Yes. So if we if we just remove that stuff and he does this a couple of different times in things sure. like talking about elephants or, or things like that, where there's certain elements of the real world that he is in this book, especially slowly getting past. Right. That I thought was like, wow, holy shit, that's an amazing note. But in reading it made me realize, oh, but there is a there is a 1977 essentially version of The Hobbit that you could be a purist about and say, no, 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 no. Job of the Hutt wasn't in this book, this movie. Like, there's a real version out there that's the actual real The Hobbit, and this mm-hmm. is a postscript edited version. and And it made me go through this sort of like cri- identity crisis of like, but I like this version. This newer version is better. Like, and then realizing that like, ah, but but it doesn't work with Star Wars. Star Wars that's, is worse with all that shit. That's interesting. That's because I I and I don't know how much you know about this, but I know for a fact that that's going to come into play. Very heavily in a couple of chapters. Really? There's a big section that was changed. And I'm sure the book will go into it. Awesome. And I don't want to give you any more than that. Okay, cool. I don't know anything about that, but I I just, it, it really struck me. Like, again, this revelation of like, I'm reading the special edition version of The Hobbit. Yeah. And... And but how getting much, to see the other one too. Yeah, yeah. At the same, it's it's really helpful to see that and be like, oh yeah, no, that's a good change. Like I would no notes, no notes on making that change at all because mm-hmm. why? Why would you? Yeah, the the big change I'm talking about, I believe, is retconned in a way where he kind of multiversal allows for both editions to exist, which is interesting. Wow. Um, but if I keep talking about it, it's just going to make it. Okay. Go down a rabbit hole. So let's not. Let's wait. Okay. So, um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, that's that's that note. But the main, again, the main difference being, this book acknowledges that the other stuff exists, and you could probably go find versions of it that are not annotated and not updated and read them again. Whereas Lucas has done a pretty serious job trying to make sure that didn't happen. Right. Which is criminal and bullshit and fuck that dude. All right. Next note is on page 35, which we've already, you know. Just, just fucking bear with me. Um, I know, I know what I'm doing. I've got this is we're, this never episode's never gonna come out because I will be. It doesn't have it to. This, this can be all in the right order. This can be in the order we're doing it right now. It makes total sense to me. All right, making sense and uh, <laughs> what I'm gonna do are two disparate things. I know, which is why I'm trying to encourage you just to let it ride. Um, okay, put note on page 35. Uh, here. I am completely charmed by this Russian illustration, which shows Bilbo with crazy, dark, hairy legs, because as the notation says, quote, everyday Russians do not differentiate between feet and legs. I didn't know that. That's fucking insane. That's a crazy thing to not differentiate between. That is so weird to me. That's like not differentiating between fingers and hand. They're different. (laughs) Like they are. They are phalangically different it's it <laughs> hey, is man snap your hands yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, clap your fingers, children. <laughs> clap your fingers is amazing. <laughs> okay. So, and if you don't have the annotated edition, go buy the annotated edition and see all this weird shit in here. It's full of wonderful little illustrations and crazy shit. And this one specifically, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, but it's just nonsense. It's wonderful. Yeah. All right. My next note is on annotation 16, which is on page 39. Uh, my note here is that I really like the uh, the the good morning bit, the the bit where Gandalf says, or Bilbo says good morning to Gandalf. Like three I think that ways. is a, yeah, exactly. I think that is a wonderful philologist's joke. And I think that it is such a good, it's so well executed too. It's like, if that, if that exchange was a philologist thesis statement, I think you give the guy a fucking summa cum laude. Like it's, it's, fucking perfect and philology is words or yeah study of study of languages i gotcha so yeah that's that (laughs) that's that's uh that's my notes okay and they were done in precisely the right order this way and they will continue to be in this order oh great the rest of the episode okay so that brings us to chapter two roast mutton roast mutton Oh, yeah, sorry i couldn't remember who says what because i don't know how to do this apparently i mean I'll just cut all that out and it'll sound awesome. I know. Um, Okay. This is the chapter where Bilbo and the company of Thorin are captured by trolls, whose bickering lasts beyond sunrise when the new day's light turns them to stone forever. That's pretty much it. I mean, I think it's worth noting, I didn't put this in my note, but they, uh, quite a lot of time has passed Mm -hmm. uh, since, since Bilbo left the Shire. It is so briefly mentioned, but it's something like, uh, one or two months. Yeah. There's something like he leaves the, the Shire in April. And at this point they reference it being near the end of June or something like that. That is definitely um, a thing. Uh, you, you have to get used to when reading Tolkien is time is acknowledged where in movies it's movie time. It's like, well, the next event's going to happen because the last scene is over. Right. But, but in the books they are always like, yeah, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. You're like, what? Right. That means they're old, and I don't want to be reading about these old people anymore, because I'm young, just like they are, right? <laughs> We're all young. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's really interesting, and I, I'm going to try to keep us on track with that, because it's I find it interesting. I have a note here, and it's just a mention. Um, I even have a page number, but Green Dragon was mentioned, the pub. Mm-hmm. It was fun. I was just like, hey, it's, his world is coming together. Those are things we'll know about later. But you are also aware of the origin of the Green Dragon, are you not? How he loved writing about Green Dragons and loved Green Dragons as a child. Well, his his first work of fiction, as the legend goes, was a story about a, a great green dragon, or excuse me, a green great dragon. And his yep. mother, just his, his mother's only note on it was, you can't say green great dragon, you have to say great green dragon. And apparently, it's in, it's in somewhere in the notations. Uh, in this book, but it's his, but apparently the uh, Tolkien never un- really understood why. Yeah. And I think I do understand why a little bit, um, not entirely like perfectly, but it has to do with like, okay, let's talk about magic cards again. Oh, and boy. in, so, <laughs> Oh, look, I have some right here. 
Oh, great. Um, green. Super green. Uh, super green. Okay, so I'll just use these. I'll use these two as the examples. Uh, in Magic cards, the, when you're talking about a creature card, creature type card, they have these little things on them. You know, here's the here's the Shadowfax card. We talked about this last week. Right here in the bottom set, it says Legendary Creature Horse, mm. right? Just letting you know this is a creature, and it's a horse creature. So if you have something that affects all horses, it affects this horse. Now, there are other cards that have multiple words defining what kind of creature it is. So, for example, this is Gandalf the White. He is an avatar wizard. So, here's also uh, Denethor, who is regarded as a human noble. Mm. Okay, a John so noble, even. Wow. So this is the important thing here. There's a rule in these cards where when they are, all of them, for as long as I can remember, at least since this rule came into play, the order of the creature types is is important. The order always goes, essentially, it goes species type and then like vocation, if you will. But there's a descending order. Okay. Of, if you have more, if you have like three, it would be like elf mutant scribe or elf mutant noble, something like that. Kingdom phylum order. Exactly. It goes in an order that that is that is that makes sense when sure. you and you recognize that they're all in that order. And I think that that comes from something similar to what his mom was describing when she was saying you have to talk about if you talk about the creature's size before you talk about its color. Because somewhere in the in the order of those things, this does make sense somewhere. There is there is a a structure to this kind of description, and I, I wish she had been able to explain that better to him. But that's my understanding of it. So, so for example, if you had a, uh, like, I don't have it with me, but like, let's say that there's a a card that is a giant spider. I wonder if it would say giant or spider first. Mm. That's a good question. I don't know. None of them would say green <laughs> in that section. That would all go in the in the creature uh like name slot. Right. But anyway, that's that's my justification for why I think she was entirely correct and I it's weird that he it's just weird to me that he never figured that out in all of his studies. Um, I've got a pit note on page 66, which may have to go back with the annotations if I'm really going to do this thing nuts. Um, <laughs> to think it will soon be June. Yes. Does that mean they've been traveling for a month? Or yes. is Bilbo excluding May from his wonder as a month away from June is still pretty close to a hobbit? No, it's, it's, it's a month. It's that yeah, same. It's been a month. Uh, yeah, that, that issue I have with, um, with the time being long and I'm like, no gotta happen all together uh page 67 i'm not sure what inspired me to look this up but maybe it was the artwork maybe it was the page about the artwork but this um swedish illustrator uh well native of finland born to a swedish-speaking family tove johnson seemed really interesting and i looked her up on wikipedia and she was she was just a, a very interesting person Oh wow, that is interesting. Sorry, Jansen, is... Tov Marika Jansen. And this is specifically the bridge that they. That this is one of those. Uh, this is one of those moments. It's a little retconned where it takes 
this is something we learned in the notes because of this page, because of this art, it takes the hobbits and it takes, it takes the dwarves and Bilbo a month to get to this bridge. And it takes Aragorn and the hobbits or something like that way longer. Right. Or some it, where by the time that they get to the place where the trolls are, cause that's a point that happens in Lord of the Rings. Oh, look, it's, it's Mr. Bilbo's fro. Uh, it's Mr. Bilbo's trolls, Mr. Frodo. Right. That's interesting. But I think that like, th- it's funny because like I think that's it's a really interesting art, but it also like calls into. I have a note on the exact same page with the exact same thing about this whole like. This is another special edition thing to me. This is another moment where it's like he's f- uh, he's adjusted reality. Sure. To to fit his later goal and his later image. Um, what did you learn about this artist? Did you find any more of her work? Um, what did I learn about her that I like? Cause that was a while ago now. So for, for the people who haven't bought the book, please go buy the book. But also this looks, uh, it looks kind of like a, like a wood press. Like it looks kind of like a wood it's, carving it, it, piece. It's, it, to me, it looks like a cross between some really great cross hatching Gustav door style. And there's a little bit of a Monet aspect to it. But like you said, wood carving. That, that's what it looks like to me. I don't, I mean, I don't know, but Gustav, um, Gustav Dorr did a lot of wood carving or wood cutting, okay. uh, for fucking like Dante's divine comedy and mm, stuff. Mm-hmm. You see those great epic cross hatches of devils. Yes. And shit. That's him. Um, so it's, but I mean, it's very simple too. It's just lovely. It's just, there's like the elfin boats with the lights on them. That's what it looks kind of like to me. And the yep. dwarves crossing the bridge. It, it's just, it's just a pretty piece. Yeah. It's uh, really well done. Tove Jensen wrote and illustrated her first picture book at the age of 14. Wow. Just, she was well-learned, well-traveled. Uh, she briefly engaged to some dude, but later met her future partner, uh, Ida Helmini Tuliki Pietla. Apologies to literally everyone. I don't care if you're from there or not. I just apologize. I'm glad you said that because I was going to make fun of the sounds of that name, but I'm not going to do that now because Um, you're right. But, but, you know, in in the 1940s found her future partner in another woman, which is also fascinating. And she just seems like a very interesting person. Yep. Um, I think you mean to say she found a roommate. Oh no, she's, she's Swedish dude. She found love. That's that's just her friend, Rob. Okay. (laughs) Jansen had several male lovers, including the political philosopher Atos Virtanen. However, she eventually went over to the spook side, as she put it. A coded, a coded expression for homosexuality. That's not a code. It's not a code? <laughs> That's not a code. Uh, and developed a secret love affair with a married theater director, Vivica Bandler. Before even meeting this tutti, which which is in quotes here, so that's an actual nickname. Look, my wow. point is, she just seemed like an interesting person, and I liked her. Your point is that you have a crush on this bi-Swedish artist from 100 years ago. Yes, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's all you're saying. Um, <laughs> Stay on okay, the for cool. my novel, so- where a podcaster and an artist <laughs> have simultaneous parallel lives, and oh, There's if only a, they could meet. It's it's called... Uh, Der Lakenhausen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh, my next note's not till page 69. I have a note that is earlier, but doesn't have like a, it doesn't have a page note, but I'll just read it now. It says, 
For all the things Jackson's Hobbit films got wrong, I think this is among their greatest accomplishments. The adaptation of Bilbo being responsible for delaying the trolls with wordplay and trickery gives our protagonist an opportunity to showcase how his hidden skills and abilities can contribute to the success of the party. Hmm. And I don't, I feel like my, if my memory serves, cause this was a while ago when I read this, that's not what happens in the book. There's, or it's different. It happens differently. He there in the movie, it's very much him like talking circles around the door or around the trolls about how to prepare the 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 dwarves for for cooking yes and it's 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 a it's a huge delay tactic where he's like watching the sun come up and being like oh well you know you certainly have to do all these long drawn out processes for treating their meat first you can't just eat them raw that's disgusting they're gonna taste bad raw also they're full of worms and you're gonna have to really cook them out first and that trolls are getting frustrated and angry and bickering and then of course gandalf comes over and cracks the rock and they turn to stone but my memory is, is so far in the book, it happens much faster than that, where there's not as much like wordplay and trickery. It's really involved. just Gandalf throwing his voice and making yes. them confused yes. until it's over. Yes, it's Gandalf doing it, not Bilbo. And I think that to me is a huge. It, again, that's what my note really means is it's a good. Change. I think the the movie made a better change because it sure. gives Bilbo something to do, mm-hmm. and why we should it, like him. Right, and how he's he can contribute again, like he can contribute to all the things that Thorne and everybody else will need because he has his own set of skills that they don't possess. Mm-hmm. Cool. So anyway, my next my next notes on page seventy one. Okay, well then, uh, page sixty nine. While on the whole, I'm not the biggest fan of the discrepancy footnotes. It is fun to see the children's book metamorphosize into high fantasy, mm-hmm. which is a, just another version of your. You can see how he's bringing it in line with Lord of the Rings, right comments. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly good. And then my uh, did you, do you have a specific example of that in this moment, or is it just a general like appreciation? It might have been on uh, policemen never come so far, and the map makers have not reached this country yet. Versus later's travelers seldom come this way now. The old maps are no use; they have things changed for the worse, and the road is unguarded. That and the reference to policemen was removed because of its unsuitability. That's a really drastic one compared to slight word changes. Later. I think there was also a note in there that says something about it also being changed to like the King's Guard doesn't come this far. Mm-hmm. And that also being a thing where it was like also a little weird because later we learn like, well, who's king? What king? Like the mention here of the king is probably not meant to refer to an actual personage, but instead used to evoke the idea of a king as a theoretical source of justice, law and order. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, another great example, again, of this element of the special edition version of this book that we're reading is, is just like all these things just like, yeah, that all makes sense. I have no problem with any of those changes It all. Like, yes, policemen pull that out of there, pull, yeah. pull out the concept of the King, because you know, the, the whole notion of Aragorn's arc is that there is no King of men anymore. And right. all this, all this stuff, it's, it's great. I like it. Um, they just have kind of an overview for the rest of the okay. chapter. So I've got my, my 71 is, uh, I have oft wondered and shall now announce that I wonder what a philologist like Tolkien would think about My Fair Lady. <laughs> or Pygmalion, which he probably or, read mm-hmm. or saw. But it just, I would just be interested to see, like, I would love to hear his audio commentary on the on that movie. Like, especially when it comes to things like looking at how he plays with words, you know, looking how like at the Good Morning segment and then looking at like 
everything he must just know of must have known about speaking and and, and communications. It'd just, it'd just be fascinating. I think it might have gotten a little something like this. Okay. Say that's a really good point. Why can't the English learn how to speak? So you're you're saying is that your Tolkien voice? Yeah. So so your Tolkien is just Rizzo the rat. <laughs> I mean, he's a pretty fancy schmancy guy. He's got a fancy schmancy voice. J.R.R. Tolkien, creator of the Hobbit. <laughs> so fucking weird. Uh, I'm into it. All right, what's your overview note? <laughs> Um, while not my favorite chapter, like Tolkien's Children, because I guess there's a note on that. They love this. I think that's yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a note that said Tolkien's Children thought that this, uh, that the book really got went downhill after the bits about the trolls. (laughs) I do see it very clearly in my head, perhaps just because I saw the Rankin-Bass animated movie when I was very young. But it's clear and well-written, and the movie fails me on most aspects. And be sure to join our uh, Death Readers Patreon for the impending commentary on the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit, which will surely happen and exist at some point. As soon as we hit 100 Patreon subscribers, we'll do that. There, we've got a goal. Fine. (laughs) Um, That's all the notes I have for this section. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say now that the next episode we're going to be reading... Uh, I'm gonna. We're gonna try to bite off again more than we can should chew, and try to do a similarly length section as we did this time. Mm-hmm. So that would be from chapter three through chapter six. All right. Let me put that in my old notes here. So just three chapters. Yes, but if it helps you, Rob, stop reading after page one sixty since we are reading the same book. Why would you? Since since this time we Say are reading that. the same book. Stop at seven or one sixty. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. I've certainly got a uh, a new word. That brings us to a new word alert. New word alert. Rob, what are your new words? Okay, you dude. I don't think you're gonna get this one. This is pretty esoteric. You ready for it? Yep. Turn my volume up. Philology. Oh, philology. Um, Actually, philologist, but that's all they're giving me. Philology. <laughs> pretty sure that's the study of languages. Uh, you are correct. Hey, Since look at that. You dropped it 800 times, and I looked at my new words and went, oh, that's a little <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> I don't remember if it's in this book or not. I just know that that's what he did. Oh, interesting. I don't... Hmm, how am I going to do this one? Uh-oh. Oh, is it because I added a E? Oh, maybe because it's an old spelling. Okay, let's try this. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. Prosy. Does it start with a P? So, prosy... P-R-O-S-Y or in the book P-R-O-S-E-Y? Well, my guess would be that it has to do with writing things in a style of prose. Lacking in qualities that seize the attention or strike the imagination. Commonplace. Prosy is commonplace. Oh, okay. Especially tediously dull in speech or manner. Commonplace and boring. That's what prosy. Okay. All right. Mine. I hope they're not prosy. They begin like this. Okay. And again, 
I can't remember the last time we did this, so apologies if this is something you've heard before, which I know Rob hates me saying because he could have just cut it out. Cut but out. here it is. Oriole. Oriole? Oriole. I can spell it. Yeah. A-U-R-E-O-L-E. Is it a bird? No, that's an Oriole. Isn't that what I said? Yes, but it's spelled differently and, and is also different. Okay. Is it a Oriole baseball is, team? Oriole is the name of the bird from the Rock and Robin song. Is, um, oh, oh, it's it's the name of a mermaid. No. Oriole. Yeah, Ariel. No, her name is Ariel. No, no, no. Oriole is a noun describing a radiant light around the head of a body of a representation of a sacred personage, like an aura. Oriole. Yes. Okay. Huh. But specifically, when you see in like old artwork, yeah, yeah, Renaissance artwork, when you see Christ with that weird, like, he's got a plate crown. on his head, yeah, yes, that's what that is. It's the Oriole denoting his divinity. Okay, um, here's another one Thrawn. Thrawn, is it related to Thrall at all? No, well, maybe. I guess it. Yeah, I'm sure. Let's just say yes, but not really. Okay, so no. The answer. I think the word. There, there is a word for that. That that antonym of yes, and it's no. Well, from a certain point of view, you could argue they are similar. From a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. Thrawn is an adjective, chiefly Scotland, lacking in pleasing or attractive qualities, such as crooked or misshapen, or your face. Your face is very Thrawn. Or recalcitrant. That's definitely a word I've heard before. Maybe even applied to me. I couldn't tell you what it means. <laughs> oh, shit. That sounds bad. <laughs> um, but in the, such a way that they throw or it would be, uh, uh, you know, crooked and misshapen, perhaps mm, they could be related. No, perhaps. a thrall is like someone who's been... It's a surf. It's, it's well, a subject. It's like it's like they've been... Mind enslaved. It's not the well, same thing at all. That's they're not, not, they're not how... root, root word related. They don't have common DNA. I don't remember that amount of uh, subjugation being explicit in the Children of Hurin, where I think we read that word a lot. Hmm. Um, the way I understood it was, it was just like a, uh, like like Terry Gilliam's character in the Holy Grail when he yes, yes, covered I... in mud. I'm more used to it used in, in books where like a vampire has mesmerized somebody yes. in there. There, yes. you know, Renfield is his, is Dracula's thrall. Yes, exactly. They're, so I think that I, there I are hear more thrall than one with, use. with that Bella Lugosi hand. Yes. Yes. And I think that in Tolkien's world, it's not quite that. No, I think you're right. Is it, I think just for the sake of this book, it's important to, to clarify in case we come up to it again. However, I still don't think it's related to Thrawn. Well, I guess we'll have to ask the good doctor who's dead. Okay, ready? Yep. Nuncle. Nuncle is a word I've heard a lot in, like, Terry... No, I'm serious. In Terry Pratchett's Weird Sisters, uh, the jester says it a lot. He says, prithee nuncle. And I think, well, it's silly jester speak. It's supposed to be related to uncle? It is. Okay. You get get a gold star on this one. It is just uncle. Okay. But... I don't remember where I read it, but I read it and thought, that's dumb. Why? Ah, language is but so it, weird. But it makes, it makes a lot of sense because it's dumb when a jester is like, Prithee, nuncle. 
Right. And you're like, you're obnoxious. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, last one. Yep. Vacillate. Oh, that's. Oh, no, maybe not. Um, it, it could be. Yeah, I'm not. What does it mean, Doug? It doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> Damn it. That was almost great then. <laughs> what does it mean? It's a verb to describe wavering in mind, will, or feeling, to hesitate in choice of opinions or courses. That's exactly what I is, thought it meant. Which is different than just being wishy-washy and just being like, I can't make a decision. It's not, it's deliberately not choosing between obvious decisions. Yeah, I think it means or it doesn't. What? Yep. No. Yep. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Okay, so that's the end of the new word alert. I have one more thing to announce before we end the episode. What? And that is because we are now actually reading The Hobbit and no longer reading uh, The Children of Hurin, I have decided to start using the Fantasy Hike app as of right now. Oh. And as of this moment, I have activated the Fantasy Hike app which if you don't know is a free app that you can, yep, that you can use to uh, measure your journey to Mount Fire, I think is what it's called, because, uh, you know, they don't want to get sued. This this app used to be a lot more specific, and then I think litigation was threatened, and it became the Fantasy Hike app. It is still really specific. Sure. Um, with, a, with lots of things. Sure. But um, about, about 20% different, I'd say. Yeah, it's <laughs> so it um so I figured I'm gonna start this and then I can give updates every time we do an episode about how how close I am. Well, crap! I as I just showed you, I have the app too, so I think I just signed up for it. Whoa! For this journey. So we're both gonna do. We're both gonna take a uh. I'll we can be each other's Sam and Frodo. Yeah. All right. This is rad. Buckle okay, Benny guys. Fan. Well, um. Wait, does that mean one of us will secretly be Gollum? No, I like the Sam and Fro uh, Frodo better. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so I don't have anything else. Again, we'll read through Chapter 6, stop at Chapter 7 next time, and you got anything else? No. All right, then uh, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Well, I've got a note on the preface to the second addiction. <clears throat> well, I've got a note. <clears throat> nope. Um, well, I've got a note on the preface to the second edition. And we had a bit of a kerfuffle last time we tried to record. Sorry, there's a mosquito. And you know if there's a mosquito, you can't let it live. A snafu, if you will. I'm going to probably restart that one from the mosquito slapping, but I hope if it killed it, it won't be around anymore for more slaps. And what a great end of the episode Easter egg. Goddamn mosquitoes. This goddamn vampire. Goddamn shit sucking vampire. All right.
Well, you know, if you eat garlic, I should have I should have been eating more garlic. Yeah, I I think I've been missing my odorless garlic pills. Uh, I don't see the body, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have any. You took the steak out, man. What's that thing? The uh, produce the corpse, uh, produce the body. That that legal term. Habeas corpus. Habeas corpus. I ain't got no corpus. Okay, you gotta so, get a writ of that body. I know where to start back up, so this is clean. This is such gold. Thanks for listening <laughs> to the episode 150 Death Readers, because clearly you're at the end of it. Goodbye. <laughs> and, and this it was very it was just nice to see that little like codification. Like, oh, yep, there it is. It's right there. It says she converted to Catholic. Tolkien was Catholic. There it is. There it is. And now who's using codify? Me? Yep. After our <sighs> huge kerfuffle last episode. I don't recall this ep- this kerfuffle. Oh, you you really you don't recall this? Uh, uh, you're talking about universal truths. Like, I'm not holding a grudge. It's fine. That was a kerfuffle? Oh, we kerfuffed. You can go kerfuff yourself. I was just using the vocabulary available to me. The lexicon from with, I pull all of my japes. Your assicon. My codex, if you will. Hey, how about that earthquake? Woke, woke me up. Yeah. It, it sent me running for my Legos to see if anything had fallen, and they hadn't, but it doesn't mean that they won't ever, and it's a fucking... Look, I live on the razor's edge. <laughs> it's going to happen one day. <laughs> <laughs>